0: Oh snap! Who made it to double digits? You made it to double digits. Congratulations to everyone out there who has been grinding it out and putting in the miles. You rock! I hope you are proud of yourself because you should be, especially this year. For those of us who are in the Worcester, Ohio area, this challenge has turned into the 5k everyday in the monsoon of May challenge. It has been rainy, it has been cold, it has been crazy, and it has been awesome. Keep up the good work everybody. I'm Jeff Pullen, and you are listening to the 5K Everyday in the month of May 2021 podcast. Let's kick this off with an oldie but a goodie. This is Pullen Band with Be Thou My Vision. We've had a few questions that I think need to be addressed. So here's another round of questions and answers. First question. And this was a really good one. We've seen several questions along these lines and I want to just officially address it. So here's the actual question that was posted to the Facebook group page. I've already said on the May 1st check-in that I'll not be doing the mayhem on the 29th. Could I still go for it? But instead of May 29th, do it on May 22nd. Unfortunately, it will not work for me the last Saturday of the month. Well, there are actually two questions here, so I want to answer them one at a time. First, if you said that you were not planning to do the 5K Mayhem bonus challenge on your registration and or first check-in, but you have changed your mind and you have now decided that you do want to participate in the 5K Mayhem bonus challenge, great. You are not held to your choice on the registration and check-in. You can even decide at 6.30 a.m. on May 29th to go for the 5K Mayhem bonus challenge. The more the merrier, misery loves company. Also, and I hope no one is in this second category, but if you said you do want to be a part of the 5K Mayhem Bonus Challenge and then you decide not to, whether it is because you came to your senses or for some other unknown reason, you will not be penalized in any way for not competing in or completing the 5K Mayhem Bonus Challenge. As for the second question, which is the date of the 5K Mayhem Bonus Challenge, we have gone back and forth on this since introducing the 5K Mayhem Bonus Challenge last year, and we've landed on a final answer, but I'm not sure that everyone is going to like it. The nature of this challenge is to be fun. We really want to see people at least attempt the challenge. Maybe you won't make it the full 12 laps, but maybe May 29 could be the first time that you run a full 10 K or a half marathon or a 25 K or a full marathon or more. It was so much fun last year watching people smash their goals and what they thought they were capable of. Again, the challenge is meant to be fun, but it is also meant to be something that we are all doing together, even if only virtually. I hope people will choose to challenge themselves and participate in it but we have decided to stick to the date of saturday may 29 2021 from 6 30 a.m to 6 30 p.m for the 5k mayhem bonus challenge feel free to adjust for time zones or not if you cannot make that day happen then you just can't be a part of this particular bonus challenge you are more than welcome to take the idea of the challenge and do it on whatever day you want to challenge yourself have fun with it Post your idea in progress in the Facebook group page so we can cheer you on. But we are not going to make exceptions this year for our official 5K Mayhem bonus challenge. Come on man. Along those same lines, let's go ahead and address a question that has been on so many people's minds. What in the world is 5K Mayhem? 5K Mayhem is an idea that I came up with last year, and to be honest, I did not expect it to be nearly as awesome as it ended up being. The 5K Mayhem Challenge is a bonus challenge on the last Saturday of May, after you have run and or walked at least a 5K every day for nearly an entire month. The 5K Mayhem Bonus Challenge starts at 6.30 a.m. on the last Saturday in May, and the goal is to run a 5K every hour on the half hour for 12 hours. At 6.30 a.m., you will run and or walk a 5K you need to be finished and ready to go again by 7.30 a.m. because at 7.30 a.m. you run and or walk a 5k and on and on it goes for 12 hours. At the end of 12 hours at 6.30 p.m. those who hammered through and finished the challenge will have completed 12 5ks for a total of 37.2 miles. Now you may be saying to yourself that's impossible. I promise you it is not impossible. It is crazy and it is awesome and it is totally possible. Last year we had roughly 75 people complete the challenge. But even if you don't complete the challenge, it is an awesome opportunity to push yourself to run and or walk more miles in a single day than you ever have before. It is an awesome opportunity to set a goal and surprise yourself by smashing the goal. Last year, my then 10-year-old daughter set out to see how many laps she could finish. She finished the whole thing. One of my other daughters made it eight laps. I think another made it nine laps. My wife made it 10 laps, and it was an awesome day. We were both tired and proud of our collective accomplishments. So I highly encourage you to block off the last Saturday in May and to give the 5K Mayhem a try. I believe in you. You can do it. For now, let's go ahead and jump into our daily Bible reading where we are going to wrap up the Gospel of Matthew. Chapter 28 Early on Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone, and sat on it. His face shone like lightning, and his clothing was as white as snow. The guards shook with fear when they saw him, and they fell into a dead faint. Then the angel spoke to the women, Do not be afraid, he said, I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead, just as he said he would. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead, just as he said would happen. Come, see where his body was laying. And now go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead and he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Remember what I have told you. The women ran quickly from the tomb. They were frightened but also filled with great joy. And they rushed to give the disciples the angels' message. And as they went, Jesus met them and greeted them. And they ran to him, grasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, "'Don't be afraid.' Go tell my brothers to leave for Galilee, and they will see me there. As the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and told the leading priests what had happened. A meeting with the elders was called, and they decided to give the soldiers a large bribe. They told the soldiers, you must say Jesus' disciples came during the night while we were sleeping, and they stole his body. If the governor hears about it, we'll stand up for you so you won't get in trouble. So the guards accepted the bribe and said what they were told to say. Their story spread widely among the Jews, and they still tell it today. Then the eleven disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some of them doubted. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Imagine that you died, morbid, I know, but just for the sake of this exercise, go ahead and imagine that you died, but also that you came back from the dead and had a few days to spend with those whom you loved. What would you say to them? Would it be important? How important? Would you share trivial or significant information? In Matthew 28, we have this exact scenario playing out with Jesus coming back from the dead and speaking to his disciples. So what did he say? Well, according to Matthew, he spoke three powerful sentences. These are the sentences. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That's Matthew 28, 18 through 20. It's hard to overstate the importance of these three sentences. Let's look at them one at a time. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. It is finished. Jesus paid the price for our sins on the cross, but his death was meaningless if it did not accomplish that purpose. In the resurrection, we have proof that God was satisfied with the sacrifice. Now all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus. This means that he is not only Savior, but he is conclusively Lord. You could almost paraphrase this sentence as saying, Hey, listen to me. I am the boss of the world. The second sentence, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Notice the therefore. What is the therefore, therefore? because he has been given all authority in heaven and earth, which he established in the first sentence. The job that he is about to issue is of absolute importance. The boss of the world has a job for us to do. It is not negotiable. And what is this job? We are to make disciples of all nations, or more plainly, we have been given the task of making disciples of people from all nations. We have been given the job of baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, In this task, we are shown that Jesus, the Son, is on equal ground with the Father and the Holy Spirit. The three are one. The task of making disciples includes not just the conversion, but also the teaching of everything that Jesus commanded. This teaching is not just a sit and listen while I talk type of teaching, but actual observance, which means the action or practice of fulfilling. So we don't just teach knowledge, we teach application. And again, this is coming from the boss of the world. It's really not negotiable. Do you remember a few moments ago when I asked you what you would say to the people that you loved if you died but came back from the dead long enough to tell them something? Do you remember thinking that you would tell them something of utmost importance? Well, that is exactly what Jesus is doing here. Now let's look at that third sentence. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is an interesting statement. And behold, or another popular translation says, and surely, and another says, therefore. I often read from the message translation, which is really more of a paraphrase of the Bible rather than an actual translation. And I typically tell people that the message is great for reading, but not great for studying. I make one huge exception to that general rule. In the message, this particular sentence begins with, I'll be with you as you do this. I really believe this is the best translation of what Jesus is saying here in Matthew 28. We often use Matthew 28 verse 20 as a reminder that Jesus is always with us. Well, since we know that Jesus is God and God is omnipresent, it is accurate to say that Jesus is always with us, but I don't believe that is what Matthew 28 verse 20 is communicating. Rather, I believe that Jesus is talking about a very different type of being with us. If you go to a baseball game with your dad and you're both watching the game from the stands, your dad is with you. However, if you are actually physically learning how to throw a baseball and your dad is teaching you how to throw a baseball, showing you how to hold it, when to release it, how to step, how to follow through, how to aim, etc., And he is congratulating good throws and correcting bad throws. Now at that moment, your dad is more than just with you. At that point, your dad is with you. This, I believe, is the promise that Jesus is giving at the end of Matthew 28. He is the boss. He has given us a job. As we do the job, he will be with us. Are you experiencing a lack of closeness with Jesus in your life? But you are confused about that because you know he is always with you. Well, perhaps you were trying to be with him like you were with your dad at a baseball game, just as spectators. And perhaps it's time to actually get in the game yourself and to experience what it is like for Jesus to not only be with you, but to really be with you. The Gospel of Mark, chapter 1. This is the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. It began just as the prophet Isaiah had written, Look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, and he will prepare your way. He is a voice shouting in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord's coming, clear the road for him. This messenger was John the Baptist. He was in the wilderness and preached that people should be baptized to show that they had repented of their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. All of Judea, including all of the people in Jerusalem, went out to see and hear John. And when they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. His clothes were woven from coarse camel hair, and he wore a leather belt around his waist. For food, he ate locusts and wild honey. John announced, Someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater that I am not even worthy to stoop down like a slave and untie the straps of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. One day Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee, and John baptized him in the Jordan River. As Jesus came up out of the water, he saw the heavens splitting apart and the Holy Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, You are my dearly loved son, and you bring me great joy. The Spirit then compelled Jesus to go into the wilderness, where he was tempted by Satan for 40 days. He was out among the wild animals and angels took care of him. Later on, after John was arrested, Jesus went into Galilee where he preached God's good news. The time promised by God has come at last, he announced. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. One day, as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, Come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. A little further up the shore, Jesus saw Zebedee's sons, James and John, in a boat repairing their nets. He called them at once, and they also followed him, leaving their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men. Jesus and his companions went to the town of Capernaum. When the Sabbath day came, he went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching, for he taught with real authority, quite unlike the teachers of religious law. Suddenly, a man in the synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, Why are you interfering with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus reprimanded him. Be quiet, come out of the man, he ordered. At that, the evil spirit screamed, threw the man into a conv- convulsion and then came out of him. Amazement gripped the audience and they began to discuss what had happened. What sort of new teaching is this? They asked excitedly. It has such authority. Even evil spirits obey his orders. The news about Jesus spread quickly throughout the entire region of Galilee. After Jesus left the synagogue with James and John, they went to Simon and Andrew's home. Now Simon's mother-in-law was sick in bed with a high fever. They told Jesus about her right away. So he went to her bedside, took her by the hand and helped her sit up. Then the fever left her and she prepared a meal for them. That evening after sunset, many sick and demon-possessed people were brought to Jesus. The whole town gathered at the door to watch. So Jesus healed many people who were sick with various diseases and He cast out many demons. But because the demons knew who He was, He did not allow them to speak. Before daybreak the next morning, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. Later, Simon and the others went out to find him. When they found him, they said, everyone is looking for you. But Jesus replied, we must go to the other towns as well, and I will preach to them too. That is why I came. So he traveled throughout the region of Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and casting out demons. A man with leprosy came and knelt down in front of Jesus, begging to be healed. If you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean, he said. Moved with compassion, Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing, he said, be healed. Instantly, the leprosy disappeared and the man was healed. Then Jesus sent him on his way with a stern warning. Don't tell anyone about this. Instead, go to the priest and let him examine you. Take along the offering required in the law of Moses for those who have been healed of leprosy. This will be a public testimony that you have been cleansed. But the man went and spread the word, proclaiming to everyone what had happened. As a result, large crowds soon surrounded Jesus and he couldn't publicly enter a town anywhere. He had to stay out in the secluded places, but people from everywhere kept coming to him. We have officially finished the Gospel of Matthew and are now moving on to the Gospel of Mark. I love both, but the Gospel of Mark is maybe a little extra fascinating to me, partly because it is similar to Matthew, but it moves so quickly. It's generally understood that while John Mark was the physical writer of the Gospel of Mark, it was mostly Simon Peter's input that he was capturing. I want to talk a little bit about the author. John Mark was a rather complex companion to both Peter and the Apostle Paul. He first appears in the New Testament in Acts 12, verse 12. This is a crazy story. Peter escapes to John Mark's mother's home, where the churches gathered in prayer for Peter after he was miraculously freed from prison. Now, when he realized that he had been miraculously freed from prison, Peter went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. You can see that in Acts 12, verse 12. From that point on, John Mark is mentioned in some rather obscure but significant ways. He is the cousin of Barnabas, who traveled on many missionary journeys with Paul. Probably primarily because of his relationship with Barnabas, John Mark joins Paul and Barnabas in their first missionary journey. Acts 13 verse 5 says that they had John to assist them. and that's John Mark. For whatever unknown reason, John Mark departed from them and returned to Jerusalem. You can see that in Acts 13 verse 13. It seems that this premature departure did not sit well with Paul. When Barnabas was asked to join Paul for a later missionary journey, Barnabas insisted on his brother, John Mark, going along with them. Paul refused to include John Mark, referring to the fact that he had left them on their first trip. Unable to come to an agreement, Paul and Barnabas had such a sharp disagreement that they decided to no longer travel together. Paul departed with Silas through Syria and Cilicia, and Barnabas sailed away with John Mark to Cyprus. You can see all of this taking place in Acts 15, verses 36 through 41. Though their relationship was not on the best of terms, it does appear that Paul and John Mark were able to reconcile their differences. Later in his life, Paul tells the Colossians to welcome John Mark. You can see that in Colossians 4, verse 10. And he refers to john mark as a fellow worker in his letter to philemon see philemon 1 verse 24. paul asks for john mark by name in his second letter to his disciple timothy saying get mark and bring him with you for he is very useful to me in ministry that's in 2nd timothy chapter 4 verse 11. meanwhile peter seems to have treated john mark as his own son you can see this in first peter chapter 5 verse 13. It is most commonly believed that John Mark wrote the Gospel of Mark, basing it off of Peter's firsthand eyewitness experience. And though there is much debate around the timeline, many scholars believe that Mark's gospel appeared first and that both Matthew and Luke use Mark's gospel as a foundation for their own. As we walk through the Gospel of Mark, I think it is helpful, or at least fascinating, to consider the idea that we are practically jumping into the mind of Peter, one of Jesus' inner three disciples. Now here in the opening chapter of Mark, we see Jesus cleanse a leper. A man with leprosy came and knelt in front of Jesus, begging to be healed. If you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean, he said. Moved with compassion, Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing, he said, be healed. Instantly the leprosy disappeared and the man was healed. That's from Mark chapter 1 verses 40 through 42. Could this have been Simon the leper from Matthew 26? Probably not. Geographically speaking, it doesn't make much sense. Jesus is likely in the Galilee region when this healing takes place. Simon the leper was from Bethany near Jerusalem. Still, I can't help but wonder if Simon the leper from Matthew 26 was still a leper when Jesus was at his home or if he had a similar story to the leper who encountered Jesus here in Mark chapter two. What an unfathomable life change it would have been to have your diseased skin slowly killing you one day and then be living in complete freedom the next day. In a way, this is the story for all of us who know Jesus as our great redeemer. For those of us who have put our faith in Christ alone for salvation, God has taken our spiritually dead bodies and has made us alive in Christ. Our disease was not temporary, it was eternal. So now is our life with Christ. Chapter 2. When Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room, even outside the door. While he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, so they dug a hole through the roof above his head. Then they lowered the man on his mat, right down in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. But some teachers of religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, what is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking. So he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven or stand up, pick up your mat and walk? So I will prove to you that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat and go home. And the man jumped up, grabbed his mat and walked out through the stunned onlookers. They were all amazed and praised God, exclaiming, "'We've never seen anything like this before!' Then Jesus went out to the lake shore again and taught the crowds that were coming to him. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up and followed him. Later, Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. There were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. But when the teachers of religious law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with tax collectors and other sinners, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with such scum? When Jesus heard this, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. Once when John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, some people came to Jesus and asked, why don't your disciples fast like John's disciples and the Pharisees do? Jesus replied, do wedding guests fast while celebrating with the groom? Of course not. They can't fast while the groom is with them, but someday the groom will be taken away from them and then they will fast. Besides, who would patch old clothing with new cloth? for the new patch would shrink and rip away from the old cloth, leaving an even bigger tear than before. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, for the wine would burst the wineskins, and the wine and the skins would both be lost. New wine calls for new wineskins. One Sabbath day, as Jesus was walking through some grain fields, his disciples began breaking off heads of grain to eat. But the Pharisees said to Jesus, look, why are they breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath? And Jesus said to them, haven't you ever read in the scriptures what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He He went into the house of God during the days when Abiathar was high priest and broke the law by eating the sacred loaves of bread that only the priests are allowed to eat. He also gave some to his companions. Then Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people and not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. So the son of man is Lord even over the Sabbath. Buckle up, because by reading three chapters per day, we will move through the Gospel of Mark quickly. There are only 16 short chapters, but they are packed full of first-hand snippets. One of my favorite phrases from Jesus is spoken in today's reading. He says, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners." That is Mark chapter 2, verse 17. The truth is that none of us are well when it comes to being right with God on our own. We have all sinned and have all fallen short of the glory of God. As a result, we all deserve death. The great irony is that only those who realize they are unworthy will become worthy. Only those who look at themselves and recognize that they are not well will run to the great physician to be healed. Those who think they are righteous on their own will never be righteous. Those who humbly approach God, knowing that they are a sinner unworthy of his grace, will receive amazing grace, infinite love, eternal salvation, the righteousness of Christ, and will be called worthy by God himself. Now, one thing here in chapter two that has always amazed me is the story of the men who brought their friend to Jesus. It is a truly amazing story. When Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread that he was back home. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room, even outside the door. While he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, so they dug a hole through the roof above his head. Then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. That's Mark 2 verses 1 through 4. And I always wondered about the practicality of the men digging through the roof. Not only why, but how did they manage this? Then I had the opportunity of traveling to Israel and visiting Capernaum myself. Capernaum is the location for this particular miracle, and there's an absolute treasure trove of remains in the city of Capernaum today. A church is built around the location of where Peter's house may have been, with a glass floor that reveals a likely location of a first century church that probably came into being because of this miracle. One thing that really interests me on my visit was that the houses in Capernaum would have had a thatched roof instead of the typical stone roof found elsewhere in Israel. This thatched roof design was used primarily because of the inclement weather that would sporadically pop up on the Sea of Galilee. And it would explain how the men could dig through the roof to lower their paralyzed friend to Jesus without hurting anyone inside of the house. Seeing this sort of thing is always a faith builder for me. I love things like this that remind me that the Bible is not a fable. It is true. Still, I can see all of this and still miss the point. I believe Mark included this story in his gospel, not so that the key aspects of it could be historically verified, but to challenge us to ask the question, what would we be willing to do to make sure that our friend can get to Jesus? What would you be willing to do to get your friend to Jesus? I think the first step, which is an important and commendable step, is to pray for our friends to get to know Jesus. Perhaps that is all it will take, More often than not though, we may need to do something radical to physically get our friends into the presence of the Lord. Now notice verse 5. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, My child, your sins are forgiven. It wasn't necessarily the faith of the paralyzed man that Jesus was noticing. He noticed their faith. He noticed the faith of the friends. Do we have faith that God wants to heal and save our friends, and if so, What are we willing to do to prove it? As we wrap up today's podcast, it seems fitting to end with a song from Poland Band called No Matter the Cost. What can we do
1: To make a difference in this world Can we really touch a life Can we show them Jesus Christ What can we give We have nothing on our own Let us be your hands and feet and May we follow where you lead Give us your life so can. Shine like the stars Pour out your love on us Lord, give us your heart Let us unite to serve the broken and lost We give our lives to you No matter the cost No matter the cost Can we pray to see your kingdom come? The heart.